0: Hello and welcome to The Deeper Podcast, a podcast all about living lives that unleash courageous love in small and big ways. I'm Reverend Elaine, one of your hosts. This is my first time hosting the podcast and I'm so delighted to be with you right now. Today on our podcast, we're beginning our essential series, a series where we're taking a deep dive together into asking what matters most in its life? What is the essence of being human? In this time filled with so many distractions, so many bids for our attention, such a premium put on busyness and productivity, how do we remember what is most essential and how do we consciously live lives that reflect this truth? What that reflect our understanding of what is most deeply important? Reverend Sean does this in the sermon we're about to hear. It's a spoken word journey through the pandemic and into the essential. Let's listen together.
1: When pandemic arrived at the world shuddered. we learned about essential. Not only who was essential, those classified as such workers thrust to the front lines protecting those of us sheltering in place too often with their lives, but also what is essential. As our world shrunk and our calendars vacated, the regular rhythms of time interrupted blurred. We found that much that filled our days past was not actually truly essential, whatever that essential means. That meetings in person could be held online Realized that much of our doings emanated from inertia, not purpose, nor necessity. And with our lives stripped away, laid bare, naked, we noticed maybe for the first time, or at least the first time in a long time, in recent memory, all that did not seem essential, but only for we took it for granted. Singing together. Voices trained and untrained, blending as one. The power of bodies united in purpose and proximity. The meaning of spaces sanctified by a community who called it home for generations. We wrestled, we questioned, for the stakes were graver suddenly. Suddenly we had to ask ourselves, what is worth the risk? Both the risk for me, but also the risk for that greater we. Suddenly, our choices had strings attached. Strings weighed down by the threat of disease and sickness. Strings that were always actually there, of course, but SARS-CoV-19 made them impossible to ignore. What is essential became a daily, quotidian wrestling. What seemed essential one day as infections went up, seemed frivolous the next. What seemed unessential at first felt throbbingly imperative after six, seven, eight months of obedient abstinence. Is this how we want to live our days, we asked ourselves? Never quite sure. That refrain from Annie Dillard echoing in our minds, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives, how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. And we decide that already in emotion, investing precious minutes and seconds, the fractional units that combine to make up the unity of life, spending them moment by moment. What is essential? Truly deeply my sweat pours down the bicycle over sermon texts and parenting too though often that elicits that other type of saline secretion lubricating lubricating moments where i want to give up where i want to give up on the worthy end of retreat where do you choose to sweat Not just the salty type, the metaphysical sweat, the effort of your life force, however it finds you able. What causes, which people, what movements, what realities do you pour your life's most precious equity, time with attention? There are items that hang out in my Amazon shopping cart for months. Mascots of an inner struggle between the forces of you deserve it and you don't need it. Voices that battle within me, do I want it or do I need it? And if I want it, do I deserve it? And how do I know that anyways? How do I know what I deserve? I've noticed it's on the heavier days, where they transform into tracking numbers. Slowly making their way across maps, a sparkling light of future pleasure dangling out there in the future, making it easier to move from one day to the next, to the next, until they arrive on my front doorstep. It's not just stuff, purchases, things that lure us with future promise. Studies find we often derive more pleasure from looking forward to vacation than the actual escape. Busyness is another culprit. If we are in constant motion, always doing, we fill life with evidence of our actions, of the way we've mastered its unruliness. Sating our fears with the illusions of control. Of our competence. For if we are doing, we must be in control. Right? All of the shopping, the looking forward, the busyness can without vigilance be how our weary selves attend. Can be how our weary selves attempt To quiet the pleading voices within and without, whose wise voice calls to each and to all, Is this the life I truly, deeply desire to live? What is essential? It's easy to imagine essential as the bare minimum, needs, not wants, what is required to scrape by, but nothing more, what is necessary to survive. Especially for those of us who have more, we can often disregard essential. We've tried this approach to essential, of course, in the soulless concrete jungles of Soviet apartment blocks or inner city projects closer to home, where if, Efficiency of repeated design, of repeated design, or a futile attempt to encase in cinder blocks, the boundlessness of human vitality. No, essential was never about the minimum. Although, in college, my friends voted me most likely to run away to a monastery, My dream was always to have all that I owned to fit in a backpack. So when the pressures of the world became too much, I dreamed of the escape of simplifying, of fronting only the essentials like Thoreau wrote in Walden, these words echoing in my mind. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately. To front only the essential facts of life and to see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. I did not wish to live that which is not life, for living is so dear, nor did I wish to practice resignation, unless it was quite necessary. I want to live deep and suck out all of the marrow of life. For what our transcendentalist found friend on the shores of Walden, outside Concord, was not the renunciation of modern life in totality, but an unrelenting questioning of analyzing, of data collecting, observing the costs in life. Not simply the cost of living, the six cents he spent on pumpkins, the $8.40 he spent on clothing, but the costs to our living. How much life Is required. The cost of a thing, he surmised, is the amount of what he called life, which is required to be exchanged for it, both now and later. Thoreau's economics disparaged GDP before its advent, before shifting the calculus from profits earned to time redeemed. For it is time, minutes and seconds, hours and days, weeks and years, decades and centuries. For it is time, seconds, minutes, hours, decades, years, that are the scarcest resource of life. Looking upon his neighbors who traded away their time to tend to larger forms with bigger equipment, pursuing and receiving greater profits, Thoreau asked at what cost to their lives and found their sacrifice only gained them slightly nicer possessions. We can, of course, take the wrong lesson from Thoreau, that he rejected life, He calculated the minimum, thus finding the essential. But he didn't reject life. He worked for others, receiving pay. He walked to town. He spent time with his friends who made different choices. He had Emerson's wife do his laundry. He didn't, his was not a rejection of life, but a cross-examination of it finding the essential fronts of life not to be about simply the basic necessities, but about the essence of life. The life he and he alone was called to live. What if he did not live? Would not be life? Would it not be living? What is essential? is what is required for the essence of something, of someone, of you, of me, of us together to be maintained. What is essential is what is necessary for the essence to be maintained. Essence speaks to something more core to living, more vibrant and personal than simply basic needs. It sparks, it dances with the uniqueness of human bodies and souls. You know essence. You know it when you return to a beloved place after years away, and even though time has transformed it, paint has chipped or colors changed, new people moved into rooms or offices, despite everything of its outward transformation, the inner dimensions are recognizable to your soul who truly knew it, Essence persisting, enduring. You know essence. You know it when you come out of the dark place and recognize yourself in joy once again. You know essence. You recognize it when you serve another, finding there's something core to being human, the reciprocity of that is at the heart of life. Because there is something about essence that like DNA manifests in fierce diversity from the remixing of the humblest and the samest ingredients. For both drag queens and butterflies, class clowns and rainbow trout, presidents and fungi derive their bodily forms from the rearranging of four simple letters in the helix of life found within every cell of their being. Four simple letters rearranged to create you and me and all that lives. Four simple letters that spell out the sentence that contains a spark of essence. Four simple letters. We're complicated, but we're not. I'm complicated, but I'm not. You're complicated, but you're not. And so is the same with essence for the core of this life has something to do with mutuality. It has something to do with integrity. It has something to do with joy. It has something to do with reciprocity. It has something to do with together and beyond. It has something to do with us dancing and smiling. What is essential? What is the essence? And when you Catch a glimpse of it like a wild animal, what do you do? Do you scare it off with the noise of busy, or do you remain quiet in the unrelenting chaos because in its presence you know something true once again? And what do you do to protect it once you know it? What boundaries of love hold it in its, your tender embrace What way of being do you allow it, cultivate it, to allow its tendrils to unfold, emanating from within and without? What is essential? What is essence is found in a spark and a dance, not in a basic necessity. What is essential is to live what is life. And nothing more, nothing less. Amen. And maybe be blessed.
0: Wow. I am so touched by this sermon. I feel like it got to something really deep and true for me. I want to invite now Reverend Sean to join us for a little question and answer. Answer time together. This is a time where we can learn more about Sean, more about his process, and dive into the core of the message he just shared with us. So welcome, Sean.
1: Hey, Elaine. I'm only a little bit intimidated about like (laughs) exegeting my own sermon, but here I am.
0: It is kind of unusual, but I know you're up for the task. And I also have a lot of questions for you. This is not your average Unitarian Universalist sermon, is it?
1: Um, I don't think so. I feel like every once in a while, these kind of more lyrical and more spoken word sermons just come out of me, but it is not what I think people expect if they've been around our movement for a while.
0: Right, exactly. So that leads us into my first question for you. Can you tell us a little more about your process of creating this sermon? How did it come to you? How did you get there?
1: I spent a lot of time trying to explain, convince, or argue the content of, of what I was trying to say Mm -hmm. and that like I had recorded probably 30 minutes of video of me talking, walking through the neighborhood, doing like didactic exercises around the topic, trying to understand the ways that we get pulled away from me from essence in different ways but it wasn't until I kind of stopped and said like what am I trying to do here like what's at the heart like ar- ironically what's the essence <laughs> of the sermon and how do you get at that because there's so many times I know for me that like I I get lost in f- f- interesting ideas or things that are kind of more intellectually oriented or just fun facts and that kind of is gratifying but it isn't essential mm-hmm. and so it was that process of like okay, what's at the heart of this? And I mean, as I think humans for throughout time have realized is that a lot of times it's through looking at things sideways, through poetry, through more artistic expressions that we capture something that is more essential than the facts and the studies and and the kind of analysis of life.
0: Well, something I found so compelling about your sermon is by the time I journeyed with you to the end, I felt like I was also really approximating the essential and I was with you but in this kind of sensing gut level knowing space yeah. as opposed to like agreeing with your thesis kind of a space. Mm-hmm.
1: That that's also
0: uncomfortable for
1: me. Mm. Cuz there's a piece of me in my my upbringing which is really mind oriented and you know I was a I was a debater all throughout junior high and high school. And so like the point, or at least I thought of it at the time, the point of debate is to make like rational arguments, right? And you make rational arguments that are supported by information, by data, and all of that then contributes to the, the effect that you're trying to have, right? Convincing other people that you're right and they're wrong or that your position's right. Sometimes I approach sermons like that, like not trying to convince the audience that they're wrong, but just trying to like hammer home a point and so it, it makes me uncomfortable when sometimes when I'm preaching and I don't feel that because what I'm getting at is really a question of faith and kind of intangible knowing. And I think that's where I came to at the end of the, my process was kind of letting go of the more tangible things and relying on something which is more, more faith, right? It's more trust. I kept thinking to myself, like, but what if people don't know what I'm talking about? Right? like what if they feel disconnected from that sense of essence that sense of uh of something being true and like that that's like a point of un- discomfort for me and yet it it felt like the truest thing to say because even even when i feel i've been disconnected from from myself or what what is most important there are always glimpses that remind me of it and and i can't quantify that and so Despite that discomfort of not having those kind of arguments for the ways to prove it to other people, which is of course my inclination, it felt it felt right to to go in that direction
0: well, and as the listener who was in it with you, it felt even truer and more authentic because I think in the spiritual life, we are only ever going to really approximate these deep truths, you know, we're only ever going to see it sideways. We're never going to be able to fully put our arms around. Oh, oh stop it. I don't like
1: it. Right. I mean, <laughs> that's like part of my inclinate part of my like personality, That like my own spiritual journey has been how do, how do I accept that? I remember mm-hmm. thinking as like a kid, the point of life is to understand life. Mm-hmm. That I would feel like a failure if I got to the end of my life and I will not have been able to understand the mystery of life, the universe and everything.
0: Does it still feel essential to you?
1: It doesn't feel essential, but it definitely feels like my coping mechanism. I think we all have that thing that doesn't seem essential, but yet it's our coping mechanism to deal with the imperfections and the pain and the suffering of life and just the unknowability of life. We all have that way that we've developed and through it's thinking other people, you know, it could be like taking care of others, really trying to... Zero in on ourselves. I'm sure you have your own way of dealing with the incomprehensibleness of life. And yet we know it's not essential because we know it doesn't lead us down those paths. But yet it's the thing that we return to. There's like an Enneagram thing you can throw in here, right? Like we have this like (laughs) this core wound that we had as a kid of realizing the way we don't have power over the world, the way that we're just one speck one collection of strings in this cosmic world. And and so we deal with that through some sort of mechanism. And for me, it's always been understanding.
0: Mm. How interesting, I think, especially as a Unitarian Universalist to differentiate between the mechanism for coping with well-worn grooves and what is essential. Because I think as a UU, we have a deep culture of valuing understanding and a kind of rational pinning it down.
1: That's why I, I'm so in love with Unitarian Universalism is because I think in the last twenty years we've we've realized that it's not about that. It's not about proving something to someone else. You know, that the reason why we are called to live and be in the way we are is, is because of life itself and, and the way we want to live in response to it.
0: Can I ask you a question in a different direction? Yeah. In this uncomfortable format of preaching, what was the most vulnerable part for you?
1: I'm going to not answer your question and then I'll answer your question. Because I, I like tracked how much time it took me to, to like write this sermon. And I remember the old adage in seminary that it takes one hour for every minute. And that was like about accurate. I mean, there is sometimes this question of what do ministers spend their time doing and like, it, it, it takes a long time and it's not linear. And I went on a walk around my neighborhood as I was trying to like plan it. This is before I made the switch style. And I remember, like I remember one of my mentors and friends, Joe Cherry saying, after reading one of my servants when I was early on, he's like, where's the vulnerability in this? And that's the question that i've come back to when i'm struggling for preaching is where where's my vulnerable place and it served me well i think in when i've when i feel really good about my preaching a lot of the times it has to do with when i've been able to be honest about that i think that places of vulnerability for me in this what felt most vulnerable was i think the ending as as we've talked about just because it it didn't feel like a culmination like a culmination of a huge thing coming to fruition it it felt very small and there's always a moment and i try to do this which is i try to be really honest in my preaching about the mundane parts of life like I, i remember putting in that piece around my amazon shopping cart and it's not like I'm being completely vulnerable and being like I buy things, but there's a piece of it. There's this part, like, this part of living right now, in the way that 21st century American life is, and the Amazon's a deep part of this. And it feels important to say, hey, this is a part of life, and this is a part of my life, and it's not. You know, people put ministers on pedestals all the time, and it's like, no, I impulsively buy things too and it's related to how 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 well i'm doing a lot of the time and i also struggle with it like it's active and i don't like i don't have c- control and free will and these circumstances are, are so messy it's it's not like cut and dry like we think it is and so just to name those dynamics even in small ways it feels vulnerable Not because I think necessarily people will think differently about me, but because there's a vulnerability about living in this way that it's kind of touching.
0: I felt more connected to you and with you during the Amazon shopping part of the sermon and especially laying out how the cart is its own unique place where things appear and disappear and come and go. And that has some relationship to how well we're doing. Yeah. I yeah. think
1: it sounds like you've had this experience too oh yeah right you're just like what oh like sometimes it's like books i'll put books in there and i'll be like oh that was when <laughs> i was thinking that i needed to to do like to to read something because it would you know make me feel better about myself or that i like was would be Spark if i read that book and then you return to it and i'm like oh gosh like i i actually don't care like i actually don't care but then other times you're like i don't do i deserve this is it is it okay for me to want this and Mm -hmm. like that own and it's still being there it's like oh there's three things in my cart what are those things like (laughs) what's going on with them and then they're gone and then you forget sometimes i forget and then they arrive at my house and i'm like what like yeah
0: i think sometimes my amazon shopping cart says Tells a story about what I feel is missing in my life. Hey, this is the hey. knowledge that I feel like I'm missing. These are the sensory experiences that I want. These are the clothes that'll make me feel more together is, and presentable. This is a part
1: of my, my like parenting that I mm-hmm. don't feel capable of doing. And so I'm going to try to approximate it through buying something. <laughs> I couldn't Listen. make it to the store for three weeks to buy the thing. That's the necessity. So I'm just going to order it, even though I know that's like the, the wrong option. I'm just going to do it because I'm, I'm, I'm failing as a parent. And this will be like a way of just circumventing that feeling and that reality for a minute.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So Sean, one part of your sermon that really stuck out to me was when you repeated the Annie Dillard line, how we spend our mm-hmm. days is how we spend our lives. How we spend our days is how we spend our lives. Can you tell me about why you chose to repeat that and what that line meant for you as you were describing pandemic life?
1: I think it's both because it's true and it's not. I think there's a way in which what Dillard is kind of lifting up is, of course, there's no separation between that future self that you think you're going to be and the present self that you are and the past self that you were like, there's a unity there. I remember in seminary, one of my professors was talking about like spiritual practices and he's like, you need to start now because it's just going to get harder from here to start. And this is the moment to begin. And I think there's, there's a lot of truth to that. There's this like, wherever you go, there you are. But at the same time, especially in pandemic time, there are seasons to life. And sometimes how you're spending your seconds and your minutes and your hours and your days isn't who you are, who you're going to be, isn't going to represent the totality of your life. And so there's a paradox there of both how you spend your days is how you spend your lives. But at the same time, there are days that aren't emblematic and aren't going to be. And we have choice in it. So it's both the unity of our experience, but also the choices that we get to make to, to, to allow a future that's different than the present. Or to re-understand the past, like redeeming the past in a different way. Is so there something in that tension that, that I wanted to play with?
0: I have often felt indicted by that phrase. Yeah. In a good way or a bad way? I'm trying to think about it actually now. Uh, mostly in a bad way. I have a hard time reconciling that phrase with just the mundane things that I do every day. It makes me feel like a tiny ant in a gigantic universe, just waking up to the alarm and cooking breakfast every morning. And I think I felt, I felt the Groundhog Day qualities of the pandemic.
1: It reminds me, there's this piece of one of John Codonoghue's poems in which she writes, we seldom notice how each day is a holy place where the Eucharist of the ordinary happens, transforming our broken fragments into an eternal continuity that keeps us.
0: Oh, that's so beautiful.
1: And so I think there's a part of it that's like, yeah, I get up. I feed myself. I clothe myself. I do the thing that makes me money. I spend time with my family. I'm not entirely present all the time because I can't be as human. And there's a, instead of that being a deficit, there's something about how even within that there's, there is the Eucharist of the ordinary, the fragments somehow come together and we glimpse that and we experience that. And if that's how I live my life, I don't know if I would say this years ago, but I feel like now that's, that's, that's good enough.
0: Well, that's a great life. Yeah, I'm thinking about my experience of hearing that phrase in your sermon, thinking about pandemic life. For me, the pandemic was very much uh, a particular historical moment to just get through. And so much of it was just trying to make it through each day with small children. And so I don't want those days to be how I spend my life. <laughs> that was a hard time that I'm proud of surviving with my integrity intact and my dignity mostly intact
1: yeah and that should be enough like it it shouldn't be like oh well Elaine you are condemned to a pandemic life for the rest (laughs) of your life and that's that's it but at the same time you were you through that time Mm Mm-hmm. You know, good, bad, ugly, warts and all. Like you were you. And that, that's okay too. So yeah, I mean, there's something in that paradox for, for all of us.
0: I want to invite us now to open our hearts to these invitations that have been set before us. Spirit of life, spirit of love, deep inner knowing, Showing us the way, connecting us all, showing us what is essential. Remind us of what is required to sustain the essence of the human soul. Show us the way to the core of living, deep and vibrant and nourishing, located far beyond the desires of the ego. Remind us of essence. Remind us of essence when we wanna give up, when we are dwelling in those hard and lonely places. Remind us of essence as we weigh risks and resources and possibilities and relationships, as we weigh short-term pleasures and long-term commitments. Remind us of essence in our busyness, our distraction, in our anticipation of that future time when our life will really begin, or that future time when we'll really be able to just relax and enjoy the fruits of our labor. May we all connect to the core of what it means to be human. May we live into the reciprocity that sits at the heart of life. May we all be filled with the bone-deep satisfaction of embracing the essential. And may this life that we all share no greater love, no enlivened interconnections, and deeper vibrancy and joy each time we say yes to what is essential. May it be so. Amen. I wanna thank everyone who contributes financially to support our work at Foothills. Your giving makes it possible for us to create content, inviting our reconnection to the essential and behind the scenes conversations like this one we just had. If you are not a contributor to our work, I invite you to become one. You can go to foothillsuu.org give. There are lots of ways to support our work. And one of them is setting up a recurring donation, which helps us know that you value what we do and that you want us to continue doing it and that you're going to help us sustain that. We always love to hear from you. You can reach out to us at deeperpod, D-E-E-P-E-R-P-O-D, at foothillsuu.org. If you have any questions or if there are places you want us to explore, please let us know. And once again, thank you for listening.